Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. Today, I want to just kind of look at the uh, parable of the sower and the soils that you'll find in Luke chapter 8. You'll find a parallel in uh, Matthew and Mark as well. But today I want to focus on the the, the story of the peril, the sower and the soils. I call it the parable of the sower and the soils because, you know, the, the one who's pretty consistent in that story is the sower. He's pretty much just doing the same thing wherever he goes. But what makes the difference is the soil. So what I want to do, I want to just read it in its entirety from, from the book of Luke. So if you have your Bibles and you'd like to follow along, open up to Luke chapter 8. And I'm going to be reading beginning in verse 4. It says, when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said a parable. A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it. The thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And then if you'll skip down to verse 11, Jesus is giving the the meaning of the parable. He says, Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root, and they believe for a while, and in time of testing they fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. And as for that as for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. And Jesus is teaching here about what? He's talking about the expansion of the kingdom of God, right? He's talking about how the kingdom grows. It grows, it's scattered around with like a seed, but it's words, He's basically saying that you you grow the kingdom of God by spreading this message around, just like a a farmer would scatter seeds around. And as the seeds, they land in these different types of soil, you know, they take root and they grow and they produce a harvest of varying degrees. Some don't even get off the ground. They never sprout and they're eaten and they're gone. Others do take root, but there's just, there's varying degrees of harvest. There's varying degrees of reaping after this, and it all depends on the nature and the quality of the soil, not the seed. The seed's fine. And Jesus said, in, and, and you know this, I love this verse, that this gospel is going to be proclaimed. It's going to be preached in all the world before the end comes. You know, we, we spend a lot of time, uh, there's a lot of Christian um, activity out there talking about the end times and different things, looking at world events. And, uh, and I think it's smart to look into some of those things, but don't become dissipated with those things. Because a lot of the things that we call signs of the end are really what the Bible says are not signs of the end. 
He says nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, kingdom. There'll be wars in various places and famines and pestilences. But what? But it's not yet the end. So those signs would be signs that it's not yet the end, if you think about it like that, right? But what's one of the things that will definitely happen before the end comes? The gospel will be proclaimed in the whole earth. That's found in Matthew 24 and verse 14. Look, listen, Jesus says, and the gospel of this kingdom will be proclaimed, it will be preached, it will be published throughout all the whole world as a testimony to all, the word there is ethnos, to all ethnos, to all races, to all tribes, to all nations, to all people groups. And then the end will come. And then the end will come. You know, there's a lot of unreached places still in the, in the world today. It's getting smaller, but there are still unreached people groups all over. You know what else is happening right before our eyes? There are unreached generations. A lot of America now has not heard the gospel. We're losing ground in America because the younger generations do not know what the older generations knew about God. So we've got to be proclaiming the gospel into this nation as well. You know, you only have one generation to reach a generation. and that generation's gone, you have to start over. If you can capture a generation and change a generation, you don't have to keep starting over. But if, if, if that generation fails to pass on what they know about God to the following generations, we're back to square one, people. <laughs> you know, there's 7 billion people alive in the world right now. And the latest statistics I looked up says 31% of those are Christians. Or, or are, I shouldn't say Christians. I probably should say Christian, you know, meaning more culturally Christian, right? I don't know what the criteria is when they, you know, do that interview. The actual amount of real Christians may be quite considerably less, if you think about it. But 31% uh, are supposedly Christian. That means 69% of them are not. That means 4,830,000,000 people do not know God, do not worship Him, do not walk with Him, do not know Him. We've, we've still got work to do. The church has still got a lot to do before the end. I mean, if you, just, if you go by these statistics alone, man, I'd say we're not there. So, like I said, in addition to these um, unreached places, you know, there are places where the gospel has been preached and has been proclaimed. And those places, they're producing fruit, but it's in varying amounts. Some are producing a little, some are producing a hundredfold, you know, some 30, some 60. But it, it's varying amounts. And, you know, as individuals, as people, don't you want to produce fruit for the kingdom in your life? I do. I want fruit in my life. You know, some people just seem to grab this message and run with it, man. <laughs> and from the outside looking at you don't always know everybody's struggles and what's going on between them and God. But you just look at their life and it's like, man, they got God and they ran, produced fruit, ran the race. Well done, good and faithful servant. Other people hear the message and they struggle, you know, and they're working through things. And it seems like they're taking longer to work through their issues. There's varying degrees of fruit that is produced when the, the word is proclaimed. So the parable of the sower, which we just read, it illustrates these four different kinds of soil and the unique challenges that must be overcome for each of the soils to be fruitful. If we're not seeing the fruit of the gospel where the gospel has been accurately proclaimed, the reason is it probably falls into one of these soil categories. 
and it's the same for us too, as individuals. For those of us who've gladly believed and embraced the gospel, you know, the fruit in our lives, in our churches, in our homes, in our community, it depends on a lot more, it depends on more of the soil than it does the seed, because the seed's going to be the same, right? God wants us to bear fruit. He really, that's what he expects. He expects us to bear fruit. Jesus said, I've chosen you, I've appointed you to go and bear fruit, right? And you know, here's the thing. Every generation needs to, every generation needs to study the scriptures for themselves. Every generation needs a fresh interpretation. They need to do the work to go in there, find out what the word means, find out what the, the Bible, what God is saying through the scriptures, and they need to understand them and make them their own. They, they really do. They need a fresh understanding of what God is doing. But we also need to beware lest we impose the, the worldview of our generation in our understanding of scriptures. You see what I'm saying? Because a lot of times will a, a, a different culture, people group, or generation will come up and they'll change it to meet their mindset. And we need to be willing to accept the scriptures for what they are and not necessarily interpret them just because I've grown up in, you know, this era in America. And that's why I love the opportunity that um, being with Rin Kim has, has given me, just the ability to see things beyond where I live, you know. It's, it's a good thing. I love the fact that we have missionaries come here and tell us what's going on in other parts of the world and how people are coming to know God because we've got to get out of our mindset. We can't limit the gospel to my particular worldview because my worldview is not complete. And, and it's not wrong to have a worldview, but we need to be aware that we have it. So right now, there's a large segment of Christianity <laughs> there's a whole group of people, and they're afraid of this idea of work. Well, say it with me. Say work. <laughs> work. Nobody wants to say work. Come on. Come on. Let's do it. Come on. We're going to practice. We're going to overcome our inhibition for saying the word work. Come on. Work. <laughs> okay. I like your enthusiasm. That's good. <laughs> they're so afraid of works, and they, and they call it works righteousness. Well, we don't want to get into works righteousness thinking that somehow attempting to, we're, you know, by doing these works, we're attempting to earn a standing with God by our own effort. That's what they say. And anything you, any, any uh, encouragement to actually do something, it's, oh, don't put those works on me. <laughs> All right, nobody should put religious works on you. But there are things that God wants us to do, right? So, you know, it, it gets so bad that we're even afraid to tell people what God demands and what the God requires, Right? I can't tell them that. Uh, we're just going to have to wait for the Holy Spirit to do it. Maybe the Holy Spirit's going to use you to do it. You don't have to be a jerk about it, but, but we've got to learn. We've got to know what God requires and what he demands. Come on, right? Come on, that's a good place for an amen. Amen. Thank you. Okay. See, God, God actually, he really, God really does want us to overcome sin in our lives. He does. He wants us to overcome selfishness. He wants us to take the attitude of Jesus Christ and lay down our lives and be willing to serve others. He want, you know what? He wants us to say no to adultery and pornography and keep our families intact. He does. God wants these things. He wants us to, he wants to see us pursuing righteousness instead of godless entertainment. He wants us to give up uh, gossip and slander and backbiting. He wants us to eradicate that from our speech. If we do that, it makes him happy. I promise you, it makes him happy. These are the things that he wants to see happen in our lives. 
You okay? Need a drink of water? You got some? Okay. All right. So all these things that, uh, you know, God would like to see in our lives, people will look at that and they'll say, oh, no, no, don't give me that works righteousness. That's works righteousness stuff. And I'm like, no, that's not works righteousness. You know what that is? That's the kingdom, the fruit of the kingdom expressing itself in my life. That's what it is. It's the fruit of the kingdom expressing itself through how I live and what I do. Look at Colossians uh, chapter 1 and verse 9. It says, uh, from that day we heard, and we have not, this is Paul writing to the Colossians and talking about hearing their faith. And he says, since that day we've heard about you, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Isn't that cool? See, I can walk in a manner that pleases the Lord. Let me ask you this. If I can walk in a manner that pleases the Lord, fully pleases the Lord, can I also walk in a manner that doesn't please the Lord? Right? If, if I can walk in a manner that fully pleases the Lord, can I walk in a manner that maybe pleases the Lord but not fully? <laughs> a little bit. I mean, just think about it. It's pretty, it's logical, right? See, you have to get into theology to dismiss verses and warnings like this. But we don't want to, if our theology starts telling us to ignore verse like this, we need to rework our theology. All right? If this is works righteousness to you, you need to examine where you're at. This is not. This is the Holy Spirit teaching you how to do things and live a life that's fully pleasing to the Lord. Fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work. You know, I'm glad I have a Bible. I'm really glad I have a Bible because I read these verses because the theology out there right now says there's nothing I can do to please him. Doesn't matter what I do, he's already pleased. I can't do anything to please him. That's not what this verse says, is it? Are you glad you have a Bible? Because <laughs> when I stand before him, I'm not going to be able to say, well, what they taught at that in that ministry, I won't, no, he'll be, I gave you a book. You had like... 50 of them on your shelf. You should read it, you know, see what it says. It says the same thing in all translations. It really does. Um, it, the, what, what's happening is it's, it's the, um, I don't want to pick on anybody or any generation or anything, but I, the, 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 the word participation trophy comes to mind. You know what I'm talking about? The way, the way we, we want to give everybody a participation trophy just for playing, right? So that nobody feels bad. Well, that's, that mindset has leaked over into our theology. Sleeked over into our church. We don't want anybody to feel bad. So here's a prize for you. Everybody's doing good. Everybody's a winner, right? We're all winners. Unfortunately, that's not what the Bible says. It says, don't you know that in a race, all the runners won, run, but how many receive a prize? One. Only one receives a prize. So what are we supposed to do? So run so that you may obtain it. Give it some effort. Give it some work. Come on. So every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I don't run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Come on, there's, we're supposed to run like there's only one prize. I mean, thank God there's going to be more than one because we're all going to go up there. But think about it. It's the one who overcomes who gets the, the crown. 
the one who overcomes. We need to run as the one who's going to overcome. Back to that verse in Colossians. um, It talks about walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, fully pleasing. And then it says, uh, bearing fruit in every good. Here's that word, work. (laughs) Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Bearing fruit in every good work. See, the fruit of the kingdom seeks to express itself through my works, through my actions. You know, it'd probably help us a lot if we would get rid of that word work and just replace it with actions, you know, things that you do. Because work has taken on such a heavy theological meaning now, meaning work as opposed to grace. No, he wants to express himself through my lifestyle, through my actions, through the things that I do in the body. It's what he wants to do. And how else am I going to bring fruit out into the world? Except for through my actions, the things I do, the relationships I have, the words I speak, the kindness I show. You know, the, think about the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. Um, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are not attributes just to be tucked away in your heart somewhere just so you can say you have them. No, these are, these are motivating forces. Come on, if love is not a motivating force, what is? Right? Joy, peace, these are things that cause you to do something. Sometimes crazy things. <laughs> but they're motivating forces. You know, how can you have patience in your heart and it not be working in your life? Think about that. I mean, self-control, what about that one? How can you have self-control? Oh, I have self-control in my heart. No, if you're not controlling yourself, you don't have self-control. If it's not working out into your life, oh, there's that word again, working out. If it's not expressing itself through your actions, through your life, you don't have self-control. And, and so God would have the fruit of the kingdom in our lives as individuals and as a church and as groups and as Christian communities. He would have us express his work, his kingdom through our works, his fruit rather through our works. So we've got to get rid of this fear that if I make any effort on my own to please God, I'm somehow getting beyond grace because it's not what the Bible teaches at all. Because it's actually God who's working in me to desire and to will and to do according to his good pleasure. I can't do that without grace. See, grace is what teaches me to say no to sin. Grace is what teaches me to run harder. Grace is what teaches me to express this fruit in my life, in my actions, and in my works. Listen to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. His divine power has granted to... I like these verses that talk about his divine power. I like power. You like power? I like power. What's power? Power is ability. Ability, Greek words, dunamis, you know, uh, uh, we like to say the miracle working power, but you know, it's, it's where we get the word dynamo. It's a word that just means ability, potential ability, right? So this divine power is working. He's granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. I like that too. Do you like life and godliness? These are good words, man. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Glory is a good word too. This is good. This is a good verse. All my favorite words are right here in verse three, right? By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. That verse blows my mind. I'm a partaker of God's nature. What does that even mean? 
I mean, if you just sat here and thought that out for the next 30 minutes and could go and act on what you've come to the conclusion, it'd change us all. I'm a partaker of his divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. King James says, because of lust. I've escaped corruption. I mean, what's corruption? Corruption is death. I've escaped the death, come into the camp of life because of this divine power that's working in me. Man, what a, come on, that's grace. You don't get that. <laughs> you don't earn that, right? That's grace. But then what's it say in the next verse? For this very reason, because you've received all of this wonderful stuff as a gift of God, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. He says, make every effort. Come on, that's good. We can say that together. Come on, ready? One, two, three. Make every effort. Because if we put these things on our lives, verse 8 tells us, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they will keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful. See, we can make an effort to make ourselves more fruitful. We've got to have this, we've got to have this mindset. We've got to live this out. We've got to live this out. I want to set you free from the mindset of our current generation. I want to set you free to do great things for God, to have the freedom to run and do stuff that's in your heart to do that you might be hesitating and waiting on thinking that you're going to get ahead of God. So the sower, he sows the word. You know, the book of John says, the sower sows the word. We just read it in Luke. The seed is the word of God. Matthew says it, the seed is the word of the kingdom. The word, their word, is the word logos. Logos, you know, the word, Greek word for word. It also means thought or idea or logic or doctrine or teaching or message. It can mean all of those different things. So it's the message of the kingdom. It's the, the teaching of the kingdom of God that's going out into the world as this sower is sowing. We're proclaiming what? Words. Words. The, the kingdom expands through words, through ideas communicated spiritually through us. Isn't that an amazing thought? The power of words. Come on, words are super powerful. You know, the only difference between a, a $1 bill and a $100 bill is what's printed on it, <laughs> right? The value of a check is what you write on it. Well, words have meaning, don't they? Words are powerful, and the kingdom is expanded, and it's growing throughout the earth as this message of the kingdom goes out. It goes out as words. First Peter 1.23, he says, you know, you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. The word is alive, it's powerful. I looked it up in the International Children's Version. I like that version because it makes it really, really plain. You have been born again. This new life did not come from something that dies, but from something that cannot die. You were born again through God's living message that continues through ever. The words, the word of God, the message of God. So the word is living, it's active, it's alive, it's imperishable, it lives forever. But the first question that I want to ask you is what is the sower sowing? As sowers, what are we sowing? And what did you hear when you heard a sower sow? <laughs> you know, because here's the thing. It's the word that goes into the ground and brings fruit. 
But a lot of people end up sowing tradition, philosophy, earthly wisdom, right? And they're calling that the gospel, and it's not. See, the gospel has got the power to change you. You know, Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel is the power of God. If it's not the gospel, it does not have the power to change you. And a lot of people are caught up hearing things that are just traditions, ideas, philosophies, rituals, and they've never actually heard the word of God. I mean, I, I found this. This, this, is, this is the best I could do. I'm sorry. I should have asked Poppy to bring me a plumb line. I don't have a plumb bob. I found this little thin string and a key. I don't even know what the key goes to, but anyway. I don't know if you can see that or not, but you know what a plumb line is, right? It hangs up and down, and you can use it to determine, you know, whether or not you're hanging your wallpaper straight up and down or not, right? But, you know, the truth hangs like a plumb line, straight up and down. This is truth. Over here is error. Over here is error. Over here is traditions that can't save anybody, never have saved anybody. Over here is legalism that can't save anybody, never has. You know what I'm saying? Over here is a watered-down gospel, a watered-down grace message. Over here is, you know, a confession but without transformation. All of these areas for error all around. But the word, the gospel... It takes its place right here in the center, and air surrounds it on all sides. So we have the Word of God. The Word of God is our plumb line. Our Word of God defines truth. But Satan wants us to proclaim our ideas. He wants us to proclaim our traditions, our thoughts. He wants us to pack all of our worldview into what we call the gospel so that when we go out, we're not sowing the Word. We're sowing something else. And we have got to sow. No, no gospel, no fruit. Right? How do you think weeds get in the heart? You know, we read the parable and talks about the weeds that were sown in the heart and growing up. How do you think weeds get in there? Words, ideas, thoughts. That's how they get in there, just the same way. So he says in Luke, uh, Luke 8, 5, the sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. Then skip down to verse 12. He says, the ones along the path are those who have heard. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they might not believe and be saved. So the devil comes to those who, who have a hard heart, the path. That's where you walk, right? And so, you know, I was looking into this and I was really wanting to talk about how people get hardened and calloused hearts, you know, through hurts of the world and different things like that, you know. Because... You know, when, when people when people have been through hurt and different things, you want to be able to help them, right? But when I actually went to the scriptures and started studying the hardened heart, I found out more often it's not because you've been hurt. It's because you've been disobedient to the word when you heard it. That's where the hardened heart comes from. That's a profound thought, and that should be a warning to all of us. Notice carefully the two problems in this, this hard heart scenario. First, the, prob the first problem is the hardened heart. The second problem is the attack of the birds that come in and remove the seed. See, two things going on here. Because whenever a heart is hardened to the gospel, it leaves that heart completely wide open and vulnerable to the attack of Satan and the deception of Satan. 
Whenever a culture is hardened to the gospel, it leaves that culture completely wide open and vulnerable to the most absurd and bizarre things, to the attack of Satan, to the working of, of evil in them. And they get to the place where we are, where they call good evil and evil good. They're confused about the most basic, you know, things. Why? Because they've become hardened to the gospel. We're moving there very quickly. It's alarming, the rate at which we're moving there. Just look at the times we're living in. I I, I hesitate, but I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to read this because I reference it from time to time. If you'll go in your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. There's several passages that talk about what things are going to be like in the end, but look at Romans chapter 1, and and, uh, it it really illustrates the hard heart. Forgive me because it's long, but it's the Word of God. If you all Christians and can't handle the Word of God, I'm sorry. (laughs) But uh, look at this. Um, Romans chapter 1, and we'll start with verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has made but we need to speak a word with power, a word in season. But also we need to pray for creative ways to penetrate a hardened heart, a way to help people open their eyes. We're not going to be able to do that with our logic and our wisdom because they have their logic and wisdom structures built up and they're convinced they're right. We need God's help. We need the help of the Spirit to penetrate a dark, dark, darkened culture. I'm just telling you what, y'all are missionaries now in a foreign land, because the America that's out there right now is not the America you know. And I want you just to think about it like this. I woke up this morning in a strange land, but God's given me a mission to reach this land. What do I need to do? And it's just going to start on our faces before God, because we're not going to be able to reach them without this presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's all we've got. We do not have enough marketing or slick tactics because they have spent decades now just undermining every little slick thing that we've come up with to the point that people are even leaving church in disgust with the the antics that the church does. We are called to be people of God, people of the word, people who embody, embrace this word, and it it manifests itself in our lives. We can't be afraid of doing things. So today, is, did Bruce, Bruce, are you back there? Do you mind just coming and playing something on the piano? Give me a little bit of music. Give me a little mood music, yeah. People are getting too excited in here right now. I'm trying to calm this group down. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yeah, you could sing if Tom wants to come sing too. There's Tom, yeah, you could come and sing that song. That'd be sweet, yeah, that'd be good. Because I just, I'm just want to, I just want us to take a moment, because this is a heavy word, I know I'm saying, but I just want to take a moment and um, just let it, let us have a chance to lock it in, to, to reflect on what we're doing and make a commitment. So today, I want it to be a challenge. I want it to be a challenge just to examine ourselves and look at how we've been living and what we've been living. I mean, and this is not for all of you out there. This is for us, man. This is for us as leaders of the church. What can we do to be more effective to reach our generation? Have I been soft? Have I allowed other things besides the gospel to creep into my message? You know, have I been teaching my personal preference rather than just the straight up power of God? So it's a fair question. So it's a challenge just to take a moment to examine myself. Let's examine ourselves. And also it's a call to commitment, a call to commitment to be a doer of the word. You know, it would almost be better to read less Bible 
and no, not almost. It would be better to read less but do more. You know, we we got done with the uh, 21 days of of prayer and and feasting where we read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. Now, what are we going to do with it? Right? You know, it'd be better to go read one chapter and go do it than to read the whole book and then not do anything. So it's a, uh, it's a call to a commitment to be doers of the word, to embody it, to put it in our hearts and let it come out in our lives. And then finally, it's encouragement. I want this message to be a message of encouragement. Why? Because we're living in the end times and the Bible says that men's hearts will fail them for fear of what's coming on the earth. And I talk to people out there and they're afraid. I mean, and we're losing everything that seems stable in our culture so quickly. It's gone. You can't even go out and be normal anymore without being attacked. But God is not abandoning us in these end times, man. We're the church. We have a job to do. We're supposed to shine light. And it may take a little bit of effort to add these things to our lives, godliness and faithfulness, so that we can be fruitful right here in a crazy and weird, darkened world. And so it's a challenge, it's a call, and it's encouragement. I know that I can navigate these end times. I can, if I stay close to him and if I be a doer of the word. Because who would have imagined the crazy things that are happening right now? But I just read it to you from Romans 1. Jesus knew about it. (laughs) The gospel knew about it. God knew about it long before we've experienced it here. And so I, I can trust him to lead me through what's coming. And not just survival. We need to get out of survival mode. Come on. You guys are God's champions. And that there, thank you, God, this has helped me articulate what's been stirring in my heart. I've been trying to get out the whole time. We got this idea that we, we all need a participation trophy just for being, you know, we all need, we all need, uh, uh, it's good enough. God's happy with me. I don't have to do anything, but I want us to be set free to go and be God's champions to go and go the extra mile, to lay down our lives, to seek him, to pray, to fill our lives with his word, to make every effort so that we can be effective in these end times because we need to get out of survival mode. We're not going to spend the end times hiding up in the mountains and and, and somehow escape the Antichrist or whatever. We're supposed to be actively engaging him. And if we die, then we go on to glory. I don't want to be in heaven forever as somebody who's been a coward, man, who's hid from these things. I'd rather stand up like that plumb line and say, this is truth. I'm living for truth. I'm aligning my life with truth. The culture can take its place around me because I'm going to stand here because this is truth. I'm not going to, you know, Jesus said about John the Baptist, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swaying in the wind? You know, what does a reed swaying in the wind do? You know, think of a reed and the wind blows, bends, and it blows the other way, and it bends. John the Baptist was not a reed swaying in the wind. And that's what, you know, if we're not careful, we'll become that reed, man. The culture blows this way. And we'll all move over here to try to be, you know, oh, we got to reach them. Got to reach them according to how they think. Well, yeah, we do. We need creative ways, but we can't, we're not going to reach anybody by being like them. We're going to reach people by being like God, who was the most loving, kind, welcoming, forgiving, and strong person there was. And some people are going to love us, and some people are going to want to crucify us. 
But we need to get out of the, the mentality of, of surviving because we're here to be God's champions. And if we die on the battlefield, man, there's a, there's a, there's a victor's crown for us. You know, we all, we all get excited about, you know, the rapture. And I think it's exciting. I, I would love to be raptured, and I'll tell you why. This is just me. I would love to be raptured because think about it. When you're in heaven, there's only going to be so many people who have been raptured. And you'll have bragging rights forever. Oh, did you get here? You know, well, I, 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 you know, I tripped and broke my arm, and then I went to the hospital and got an infection, and I died. That's horrible, you know. How did you get here? <laughs> well, I was raptured. <laughs> I just think that'd be cool, man. <laughs> I mean, but the only thing that's going to be better, I think, than being raptured would probably be a martyr. Well, how did you get here? Well, I laid down my life for the gospel. Yeah, there's something special about martyrs. What's the worst that can happen? Come on, is this world anymore so great that we need to, to, to make this our home? Thank God this is not your home. You're citizens of heaven. You're citizens of a different place, man. It's time to start living like we're citizens of heaven. And don't worry, don't, don't let that stress of trying to build a future for yourself here matter. You are a sojourner in this land. This is not your home. This is not your home. You can be free to love deeply. Out here in the middle of all the corruption and stuff, you can be free to love deeply. See, when I'm building a home here for myself and I'm mad because my culture is being taken away and what are my kids going to grow up in? Because, man, I, I mean, I'll tell you what, if I could go back to 1980s Nebraska, I would in a second. <laughs> But Nebraska in the 1980s isn't there anymore. It's not. There's nowhere to go home to. But I need to bring my kids up as citizens of the kingdom. You know, and like I say, if we die, so be it. There's, there's something more worth living for. There's something bigger. And so let's shine a light, man. Let's shine a light and make a difference while we're here. And so let's commit our lives, just our hearts to God, to hearing his word, to knowing his word, to allowing the Holy Spirit just full reign in us as long as we're here. Because think about it like this. When we go to heaven, we're out of the fight, man. It's over. I, when I was in New York, I don't know why all these ideas are coming to me. I'm going to roll with it just for a minute, then I'll let you go. When I was in New York doing an internship up there, we took all the guys and we went to the Pocono Mountains and we played paintball. And I'm telling you, it was fun. It was fun, man. We're all dressed up like we're something, you know, and we've got all our guns. My gun wouldn't even shoot straight, though. I was really disappointed. But, uh, you know, we're out there, high, we're crawling around through the grass like we really know what we're doing. Except for the guys who were from New York. They were hilarious because they watched too many Rambo movies. See, the country boys, they, we were hiding in the grass and in the trees. The guys who grew up in New York, they were like Rambo. They were just standing out there just shooting everything. But, uh, you know, we're playing and it's, it's paintball. So, you know, when you get, get, when you get hit, you're like, you're out. And you have to go sit on the side till the game's over. Right now is the only time we're going to have to beat up on the devil. Right now is the only time we're going to have to engage the powers of darkness. Right now is it. Because when we go on, whether it's rapture or by martyr or just by natural causes, when we're out of here, the game's over. And we just have to stand on the sideline and wait for the clock to run out. And we've missed our opportunity to be engaged. So don't miss. Let's not miss our opportunity to be engaged in God's business against the darkness. Let's set people free, man. Maybe we won't win the whole culture, but we can win people, right? How do you win a culture anyway? You win people. 
Sometimes we're so busy trying to fight and defend the culture, we forget it's people, right? You can't see the people for the culture. You can't see the forest for the tree. How's that go? The trees for the, you know what I'm saying, right? But we need to, we need to start looking. God cares about people and we can make a difference. Amen. Amen. It's good, isn't it? I'm stirred. It's, 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 it's just, I'm stirred. So let's go do something, man. Let's do something. As a church, would you pray with me? Would you make this a point of prayer this week and, and going forward so that we can be effective in reaching? Let's, let's, you know, when they, <laughs> here's another example. When, when they went and they were rebuilding the walls, was it Nehemiah, I think? Uh, uh, I, was, I think it was Nehemiah. I think it was the walls. I don't think it was Ezra. And, and you know, yeah, it was Nehemiah because he's in the king's presence, right? And he's distressed and, and he gets a report from, from, he's like, what's going on in Jerusalem? And, you know, they just didn't come and they tell him all these wonderful, oh, praise the Lord, we got the temple built and it's all wonderful and people are living there. He said the city's in distress, the wall's torn down, you know, thank God for a realistic report, right? Because now he had something to work with. And that realistic report grieved him to the point where he couldn't even hide it from the king's presence. And what happened? God made a way for him to go. And he's like, I mean, here's a king, you know, who, who's his ancestry helped destroy the place, you know? And he's like, hey, go back, build your wall, take some provisions and some men and go do it, man. <laughs> go build your wall. But you know, it started with an accurate report, you know, that they didn't bring him a report that was, um, you know, oh, praise the Lord. You know, it's everything's great and wonderful and we're winning. Rah, rah, rah. No, I was like, man, the city's a mess. It needs help. Come on. Our country's a mess. Our community's a mess. Let's start with an accurate report and see what God might use us to do to make a difference while we have, while we have this opportunity. Father God, we just thank you. Thank you for your calling of this church, Lord, to make a difference. Father, I really believe that there's a group of people here who are stirred and ready to make a difference for the kingdom of God. Lord, I do pray for strategies and ideas and ministries and to be birthed out of this church, Lord, that you would commission us and challenge us and send us out, Lord. And we thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Let's just sing that through one time. Let's just sit in the Lord's presence for a minute. Let him speak to your heart. He's maybe birthing ideas and strategies in your heart right now. And if he is, don't, don't take it lightly. Don't take it lightly.